Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hey everybody, I'm Andy Baylog. And I'm Jordan Pine. Let's get started. Today, we're going to talk about confidence and cowardice. Not self-confidence or big egos, and not the kind of cowardice that men care about, but the confidence and cowardice that God cares about. Let's listen now to the Word of God. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preservation of the soul. That was Hebrews 10, verses 35 to 39. That last verse is the one that jumps out for those who know the kingdom truths. But let's begin with the SPACE method. SPACE is just an acronym that we created to help remind Bible-believing Christians that they should consider the speaker, SP, audience A, and context C of a verse or passage of scripture before attempting an explanation E, hence the word space. So let's use the space method today on today's scripture reading. Okay, Andy, the speaker is unknown, but is clearly a respected church leader, possibly the Apostle Paul or one of his contemporaries. That's a little known fact about the book of Hebrews. The author is not, not named and not mentioned. And there's a lot of theories about who it might be. Sure. Um, the audience is, as the name of this letter suggests, Hebrews, or more specifically, it is Jewish Christians. Yeah, so that brings us to the context. couple points here. God's people were in transition at this time from living under the law to now living under grace. They had a lot of trouble letting go of the old ways, though, and many taught that maintaining the Jewish law standard was necessary to be righteous. So even the apostles struggled with this situation, and Peter, for example, was rebuked by Paul for acting one way around Jewish believers and then another way around the Gentile believers, and we could see that in Galatians chapter 2. Yeah, and even Paul gave in to this pressure and had his protege, Timothy, circumcised as an adult, so it would not hinder his ministry, and you can find that in Acts 16. With this as a context, we see that Hebrews is essentially an argument against these Judaizers, people who push this old Jewish law away onto, onto Christians and particularly onto Gentiles as well. Right. And, you know, this, this letter makes the case for the superiority of the new covenant over the old one. For example, earlier in Hebrews 10, we read, 
Every priest stands daily ministering and offering, time after time, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, meaning Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, that is, he's our high priest, by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And that's Hebrews 10, 11 through 12 and 14. Okay, so now that we know the speaker, the audience, and context of our scripture reading, we're ready to attempt an explanation. Now, the key verse we wanted to call to your attention is verse 39, and it reads, But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now, there are two phrases that must be discussed here. The first is the words, shrink back to destruction. Now, going back to the audience, we know that these people are, are saved, that's for sure. And as Jews, they were saved, or what we like to say, safe, because they were of God's people. As Christians, they were saved, past tense, because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So when the author writes, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, he cannot be talking about hell or spiritual destruction. Right, because the doctrine of assurance guarantees that no believer can go to hell. So what does this phrase mean then? Well, let's go a little bit deeper. And to do that, we often like to go into the original language the Bible was written in, which is a, what we call New Testament Greek, but officially it's called Koine Greek. And if you look at that word destruction in the Greek, it's the word apolia. And like all Greek words, it can have many meanings depending on context. For instance, it could mean ruin or loss. And if you run it down in the New Testament, you'll also find that it can be translated, or it is translated, as waste. For example, the Gospels tell of a woman who, at the home of Simon the leper, poured a vial of very costly perfume over the head of Jesus Christ. It was worth about 300 days wages, almost a year's salary, or something like about 50 grand today. And this act caused those in attendance to complain, saying, why has this perfume been wasted? And that keyword wasted is apolia in the Greek. That's Mark 14, 4, by the way. So we have this sense of ruin loss or waste. Loss of what though? Wasting of what exactly? The answer is obvious to those with epinosis, which is our glorious inheritance. To talk about that, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8:17 that if we are children of God, then we are also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if, and that's the variable there, if indeed we suffer with him. So this is what the author of Hebrews is saying as well. We are not of those who shrink back and lose our inheritance. Yeah, it's a key point, our inheritance, right? Um, you know, and more precisely, that phrase, those who shrink back, is actually a single word in the Greek, hupostale, that means something similar to apostasy or apostates. It has the sense of quietly or subtly backsliding. So going back to our context, we can see that he means those convinced by the Judaizers to return to the ways of the old covenant. And putting it all together, the author is saying then, we are not backsliders who will lose their inheritance. Yeah, Jordan. So the second phrase that those with epinosis will immediately notice is the preserving of the soul. Now, Hebrews 10.39 says, those who have faith will preserve their souls. Now, those who don't understand the difference between spirit and soul will be a little confused by this because they probably use spirit and soul interchangeably. Do that here, and again, you'll make the mistake of thinking that this verse is about keeping Christians out of hell or, you know, not losing your salvation. But with those of us with epinosis, we know that the soul and the spirit are actually different. 
Yeah, um, we know that man has three parts, mind, body, and spirit, and it's the mind that is the soul, right? It's not an opinion, by the way. It's right here in the original Greek once again. The word for spirit is pneuma, which has the sense of a breath of air because God breathed his spirit into Adam when he created him. On the other hand, the word for soul is suche, from which we get our word psyche, as in psychology, as in the study of the mind. So here in Hebrews 10.39, the word is suche and not pneuma, soul and not spirit. Why is this important, Andy? Well, if it said the preserving of the spirit, that would just simply imply that your spirit could perish or become unsaved. And that's the most common misnomer today with different denominations. But we know, according to Scripture, that our spirit was saved once and for all when we believed in Jesus Christ. And that's past tense, from the moment that we accepted the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So as our Lord himself said in John 10, 27 to 28, that my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So as you think about that verse, as you meditate on it, plug in your thoughts on salvation, and then you know look at the study today of knowing now, possibly in the past you didn't know, that there was this specific difference between spirit and soul, and understanding that here the context is your spirit, knowing that now, according to Scripture, there is no contradiction we will never perish, our spirit, and that no one will take our spirit out of God's hands or snatch him out of God's hands. Right. So the author is not talking about preserving the spirit, obviously. Here in Hebrews, he's talking about preserving the soul. And this is the difference between justification, as you said, our past tense spirit salvation, our pneuma salvation, and sanctification, which is our ongoing soul salvation, the cleansing and renewing of our minds. You hear that phrase in Christian circles, the cleansing and renewing of our minds. Well, now you know that that word mind is specifically talking about the soul or the, or the suche in the Greek. So, you know, sanctification is the exact word, as a matter of fact, that's used in Hebrews 10. We see it in verse 10, for example. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And in verse 14, by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified, or more correctly, being sanctified. So we have this past and continuous sense of being renewed, as I mentioned, through the blood of Jesus Christ, this one time for all sacrifice. Yeah, amen to that, Jordan. Now, the word sanctified in the Greek means to make holy, and we are certainly not holy by nature. I mean, that's, you know, a given. So we constantly sin, and God is constantly faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness or sanctify us. And we read that and we should read that or pray that daily. And it's in 1 John 1, 9. So, you know, as we mentioned earlier, Hebrews is about this very topic. It's an argument against Judaizers as it explains that the blood of Jesus is far superior to the blood of bulls and goats when it comes to keeping us holy. But, you know, Jordan, I guess, again, the question is, why does that, why does staying holy matter today? Yeah, that's the key question. And again, you know, the reason people ask that, might ask that question is because we are saved, we know we're saved from the penalty of sin, which is hell, regardless of whether we stay holy or not, right? Well, the answer to this question is at the beginning of our scripture reading, going back to Hebrews 10, 35, which reads, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. So there you have, we are promised a great reward if we remain confident and have the endurance required to do the will of God. In other words, remaining holy and staying on the right path. 
Yeah, and in the context of Hebrews, this meant enduring the reproaches and tribulations of the time without shrieking back to the old self-ways, if you will. So remember that no matter who Scripture was written to specifically, it was written for the church, for our edification. So we need to apply that this Scripture to our lives today. So now you have seen the deeper meaning of what the Scripture is about. And keep in mind, all Christians should stay confident, remain holy, and always overcome the world. So as the author of Hebrews puts it, you might receive what was promised, or you may receive what was promised. Yeah, and here's just one example of that promise from Revelation 3, 21, the letter to the Laodicean church. It says, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That's right, God's promise is nothing less than ruling and reigning with Christ Jesus when he comes into his kingdom, if, and again that's the key word, if, Indeed, we share in his sufferings and continually sanctify ourselves. Well spoken, Jordan. Okay, so let's look and see what we can get as, as far as an everyday takeaway from this lesson. A couple points. We did say in the lesson it would be about confidence and cowardice, right? That was right. the title. But not self-confidence or big egos, if you will, and not the kind of cowardice that men care about, but the confidence and cowardice that God specifically cares about. And today we learned that God wants us to be confident in the rewards he has promised us to the point of enduring and boldly doing the works of his will. So in other words, as far as our spirit salvation, we're secure in that because the word teaches us that. It's, it's what Jesus did on the cross for us. But now that we, we're learning about the reward to come, there is a stipulation behind that. We need to endure. We need to be willing to suffer for who we are now as Christians, and we have to stay on the straight and narrow path. And if we don't shrink back and don't lose confidence in that, God has a great reward waiting for us. Yeah, he doesn't want us to be cowards that slide back into old practices in order to go along with what the world deems acceptable. You know, most of us were not Jews before we were saved, so we don't have Judaizers today sort of enticing us back to Jewish customs. We're more like the early Gentile believers who were tempted by pagan practices such as sexual immorality and idol worship. We need to remember to set ourselves apart and avoid the sensuality of the world or worshiping at the altars of its idols, such as money or fame, things like that. And why? Again, mostly because we have confidence that something far greater awaits us if we remain good and faithful and wise. You know, Jordan, there's another side of backsliding that we should mention as a warning. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10 and pick it up in verse 26. And it reads, for if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and as regarded as unclean, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. You know, so again, we must realize that in the context of our reading, that, that reading, you know, it was directed at the Judaizers, um, those who were seeking to lead new believers astray by convincing them they still had to follow Jewish laws and customs. In other words, it was really directed at false teachers. But um, for today, we discern it as a warning to those who teach false doctrines and cause believers to lose their confidence in their salvation and as a result fall away. 
Importantly, it's the lost side of the equation. You know, earlier we showed again that Christians should have no fear of hell because we're guaranteed heaven. But it doesn't mean Christians should have no fear of loss. We are not guaranteed the kingdom. Right. We're not guaranteed the kingdom. In fact, we can commit sin so bad that punishment is required. So here in Hebrews 10.29, we see one insulting the Holy Spirit. Now, the punishment is, quote-unquote, a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. This fury of fire is not the lake of fire, as some people might think. So how do we know? Well, let's look at verse 30. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And we know that the Lord does not judge his people by condemning them to the lake of fire. That place is reserved for those not of God. And we could read about that in Revelation chapter 20. But no, he judges his people with a refining fire. And we could see that in Isaiah chapter 48, which speaks of, for example, the furnace of affliction. And then verse 31 of that reading, Andy, is it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, uh, the lake of fire is certainly not falling into God's hands. Another way that we know that that's not speaking of the lake of fire. Um, You know, the lake of fire is eternally apart from him, not in his hands. So this is more of a judgment fire, uh, a Gehenna fire. We have a whole series on Gehenna that's kind of important. If you've never heard this before, you'll want to go back and look at that because it it does take a bit of time to, to fully process it and see all the scriptures lining up to explain it. But the Gehenna fire is essentially a fire that burns in the garbage pit outside of the kingdom. It's not the lake of fire, and it's not a place for lost souls or the devil and his angels and stuff like that. Yeah, so actually the, the English translation of Gehenna would be the Valley of Hinnom, if we were to transliterate that into English. And if you, if you have a study Bible, if you look at the back of your Bible, you'll actually see you know Jerusalem during the time of Jesus Christ, and you'll see the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And then just south, right outside, I would say maybe 100 paces from there, you'll see the Valley of Hinnom. And that was actually a place historically, where the people in Jerusalem would take their garbage and throw it out of the city because, you know, they were very, culturally, the Jews didn't like having garbage. It was, you know, I guess you could say is, it was non-religious to do that. Unclean. So they would, it was unclean. So they would take their garbage outside the city gates, drop it into that valley, which was always lit so that it could constantly burn the garbage for the, for the citizens of the town. Yeah, we burn our garbage today, so it's kind of like that, a, a garbage-burning facility, but yep. it was outside of the city, and it burned day and night. And, um, and Jesus used it, a literal place, as a, as a metaphor for um, Gehenna, which is going to be a place of punishment for, for believers during the thousand years of the kingdom. And then, of course, the, you know, the Bible says that uh, in Revelation 21.4, that after the thousand years of the kingdom, God will restore even these apostates, who were cast into Gehenna yep. and wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be, there'll be no more pain and no more death, etc. Amen. Okay, but Andy, I want to go back and I want to get into something because I know it's going to be uh, difficult um, and perhaps controversial. And that's, you know, Hebrews 10, 27, where it talks about a terrifying expectation of judgment. And it says the fury of fire. We've talked about what that means, but which will consume the adversaries. That, that word adversaries is going to be a stumbling block to a lot of people because, you know, it sounds like it's talking about Satan and the demons, and, and you say to yourself, well, how could, a, how could a saved person possibly be an adversary? Yeah, that's a great point, Jordan. I think first we need to look at the context and understand that this letter was written to the Hebrew Christians. So the audience here already understands that Jesus is their Savior. So the author is going a little bit deeper here, Jordan. Now, the Christians then, the Hebrews, they knew they were saved. But the topic to remember here, the, the context of the writer is not 
how are you going to get into heaven and follow these rules and regulations so you make it to heaven? And this is my warning. No, it's about the kingdom of heaven. And there's a ton of typology in the Old Testament that actually teaches this. If we look at the, the famous gateway verse that connects the, the New Testament to the Old Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see that the writer Paul mentions that all these, these types that he speaks of in the Old Testament are, are types or, you know, they're, they're foreshadows of things to come. So let's look at one of those foreshadows. He mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Moses, and he, and he alludes to the, the spies that Moses sent into the promised land. So let's go back and let's think about this for a little bit. We know that in the Old Testament, that according to typology, that the Jews themselves were saved at the time that they took the blood of the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb, and they applied it to the doorpost of their homes. That represents the blood of Jesus Christ that they applied on their life. And that protected them from the spirit of death sent by God from, from not actually killing their firstborn, but it passed over. So they were saved from the spirit of death. From there, when they were called out of Egypt to, to go into Israel, they, we saw that Moses parted the Red Sea. And then they pass through the Red Sea, which is a type of their water baptism, which is leading them to their promised land where they could freely worship and praise God without feeling, you know, the repercussions of Pharaoh and judging them for, for believing in a, in to what they felt was a strange God, but was the true God. And then eventually we see there that as they're going up to this promised land, that God actually touches Moses' heart to say, okay, I'm going to elect one leader or one spy from each of the Jewish 12 tribes to go into the promised land. At which point you go in, let us know what happens, come back with a report. Well, and I know I'm making it a long story, but I think it'll help our listeners understand. Yeah, no, it's good. It was Joshua and Caleb that came back and said, hey, look, there's giants in that land and it seems different and hard to get through, but we have faith. This is where God wants us to be. We could do this. But the other 10 representatives, the other 10 spies came back and said, no way, no how. This is not for us. It's too hard. We're going to die in the land. So unfortunately, 10 versus 2, they influenced the entire group of Israelites, at least 3 million men that we know of, not including men and children, to, to kind of be discouraged and say, okay, we're not going in. Later on, we see that God gets very upset and he curses all those people, except Joshua and Caleb and their families. So they were not allowed to get into the promised land. They had to wander around until they died. That entire generation had to pass before Joshua could bring in, you know, the, the, the Joshua generation. So in a sense, what I'm trying to say is the adversary back then for Moses and Joshua and Caleb were Christians or at the time other Jew believers that were saved, but yet didn't have the faith to go into the promised land. So what does that mean today? We're, you and I are, are sharing the kingdom truths. We're trying to let Christians know that there's more than just salvation. Like we mentioned earlier, if you live righteously, if you follow God's word and, and you're obedient to his scripture, there's a great promise that God has prepared for us in the millennial kingdom, which we have to achieve to, we have to strive for. And any other Christian who opposes what we're trying to say is actually an adversary to God's plan, which as we know, according to these verses that we're studying today, they will, they will unfortunately see, you know, uh, an amazing amount of judgment, which God the Father will put upon them, which again, we know it's not that they're going to lose their salvation, but they will lose their inheritance and lose their opportunity to, to be a joint heir with Christ and serve him in his kingdom.
Unfortunately, we're out of time. Don't forget to visit our website at 20mbs.org. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.